Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. All right, would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to camp out in verses 21 through 28 as we continue in our series in the book of Mark, which we have called the Show Me Gospel. Why is it called that? Because... Mark emphasizes the works of Jesus more than the words of Jesus. Mark emphasizes the works of Jesus more than the words of Jesus. And so far, those works have largely been to show his authority as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For example, a couple weeks ago, when Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness and he defeated every attack that Satan threw against him, what did that show? Well, it showed his authority over Satan. Now, we might say, hey, that's great for him. Great that the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Son of God, is able personally to defeat Satan. But my question for us today is this. What about us? What about us frail, sinful human beings who so often find ourselves captive to all different forms of spiritual bondage? What about us? You know, put another way, does the authority of Jesus extend practically to our spiritual bondage? Is Jesus able to set spiritual captives free today? Big questions. Important questions. Again, it's one thing for Jesus, the Son of God, to go toe-to-toe with Satan and win, but what about us? Can we win? Can we be free? Spoil alert, and you already spoiled it. (laughs) The authority of Jesus does extend practically to our spiritual bondage. Jesus is able to set spiritual captives free. Aren't you grateful for that? And Jesus shows this authority in today's text in two specific ways. Um, first of all, Jesus shows his authority in Mark 1, 21 through 28 by his teaching. We're going to see that. And then by his cleansing. So would you please stand with me as I read the text? Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Why do we do this? Why do we make you uncomfortable, have to get up out of your chair while I read the text of Scripture? Uh, Simply because I think it's a very basic, foundational way that we can say, this is not any other book, is it? There's something significant here. There's something special here. These are the words of God, and we want to give them the attention and the reverence that they are due. So Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, it says, And when they went into Capernaum, And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What know who you are of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we ask that in this holy moment that you would um, clear away all the distractions, all the noise, including the, the voice of the enemy. And God, help us to be tuned in to your frequency. Help us to hear the still small voice of your Holy Spirit. May our hearts be ready with expectation to receive from you through your word today. And then, God, may we be more than hearers of your word. Make us doers of it. And so, God, how I ask for your help right now that this uh, message would be accurate, that it would be clear, but, God, that your power would come through. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Again, the text breaks down into two main parts. Jesus shows his authority by his teaching and then by his cleansing. So let's look at the first of these by his teaching in verses 21 and 22. So let's go back and look at verse 21, that first phrase, and they went into Capernaum. How many of you have been to Capernaum? I see a couple hands. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. My day will come. My day will come. Let's take for a few minutes just to talk about this important city. If we look on a map, all right, we see the holy city of Jerusalem there to the south. We see the city of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown to the north. And then just a little bit further to the north, on the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee, is Capernaum. Now, its location there, what do you think that made its uh, best business? How did they make their money in Capernaum? Fishing. It was a prosperous fishing town. And you may have heard from, of some fishermen from that region. You met them last week and when Pastor Travis was preaching. Uh, Jesus called four fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John to lay aside their fishing nets and instead to become fishers of men. This happened in Capernaum. And Capernaum is important because it ultimately becomes Jesus' ministry headquarters in the region of Galilee. Let's look at a different map just for a second. So there to the south, we have a region known as Judea. That's where Jerusalem is located. In the middle, we've got another region known as Samaria. And then to the north, Here's this other region of Galilee, which contains the cities of Nazareth and also Capernaum. Now, when we look at the... Well, here, let's do this. Last week, when Pastor Travis ended his, his message, we ended with Mark 1.20, where Jesus calls his first disciples. But if we look at the chronology of the Gospels as a whole, some important things happen before we get to Mark 1.21. All right, namely, um, there's a ministry of Jesus in Nazareth in Luke 4.14 through 27. The Sermon on the Mount, a big deal, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus is then rejected in Nazareth, and he therefore left Nazareth. Okay, so there's a little parenthesis here between Mark 1.20 and Mark 1.21 for reasons known to Mark. He chose to leave those out and to progress 
right away with what happens in Capernaum here in Mark 1.21. So Capernaum, that's why Jesus ends up in Capernaum, rejected in Nazareth, left Nazareth, ends up in Capernaum in Galilee, and at a very strategic place in that city. Look at the second half of verse 21. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now this raises the question, what is a synagogue? Very simply, a synagogue is a place where scattered Jews gathered to worship. A synagogue is a place where scattered Jews gathered to worship. What was the central place for Jews to gather for worship? The temple in Jerusalem. But now we've got a situation that we're talking about here. We've got the scattering of Jews. Um, Why were the Jews scattered? Well, if we go back for a little history lesson, in 722 BC, the Assyrians defeated the northern kingdom and exiled God's people from their land, booted them out, sent them away. And then in 586 BC, the Babylonians defeated the southern kingdom, destroying the temple in Jerusalem. And they also exiled God's people from their land, booted them out. And the end result was that we have Jews who are scattered far and wide. They need a place to worship. And so in every town where there was at least 10 males older than 13 years of age, a synagogue was to be formed. And there was just such a place here in Capernaum. Now, this next picture is interesting. Those of you who have been to Capernaum have undoubtedly seen this. It's a picture of a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, this is not the synagogue in our text today. These ruins are probably of a synagogue constructed in the 4th century But it appears that this 4th century synagogue was actually built on the foundation of a previous synagogue, which is likely the synagogue mentioned in today's text. Pretty interesting. Um, Now, with that in mind, there was something in Jewish synagogue worship called the freedom of the synagogue, where it was their practice to welcome visiting teachers or rabbis to speak. Now, that's a big deal to our text today. Why? Well, because that's how Jesus had the opportunity to speak on this day at the synagogue in Capernaum. He was viewed as a welcomed visiting rabbi. Come on in. Tell us your take on today's scripture reading. And so those rabbis, those teachers would come and give their commentary on the scriptures. And so we pick up in verse 22 and we see how the crowds responded to his teaching. Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That that word astonished, it's a powerful word. It literally means to strike in the head. Meaning that the teaching of Jesus just absolutely blew their minds. They had never heard anything like it. Why? Well, because it was different than what they were used to. It was different than the teaching of their scribes. The the scribes, the the rabbis, the teachers, the interpreters of the Jewish law that they were used to hearing in the synagogue, they taught in a very stuffy, dry, academic manner in which they were known largely to quote other rabbis. It was like a doctoral, reading of a doctoral thesis whenever they would get together with lots of footnotes. And well, so-and-so said this, and they would give all these differing perspectives on this minor point of the law, but not Jesus. It's not what he did. His teaching was completely different. It was with authority, with weight and power, hitting them with like a sledgehammer to the chest. 
Well, what was so authoritative about the teaching of Jesus? First, the content of the message. The content of the message. Uh, Jesus did not present a stuffy, dry, academic lecture giving a a, a doctoral thesis. He did not major on minor points in the law. Rather, Jesus proclaimed living words of truth where the goal was not information but transformation. This was a radically different purpose than the scribes. And so the teaching of Jesus was authoritative because of the content of the message but also clearly because of the character of the messenger. The character of the messenger. You you see, in contrast to the scribes, Jesus didn't need to quote or footnote other teachers or rabbis. Why? Because he was the teacher. He was the author himself of the words being taught. And so he could proclaim those words with authority like none other. In that synagogue, the fountain of life, proclaimed words of life, and brought refreshment to souls. That was, it was something different than the teaching of the scribes. And so what was so authoritative about the teaching of Jesus, the, the content of the message, but also the character of the messenger in church? Let me just take this moment for a minute to remind you, guess what? The very same words that blew the minds of those at the synagogue are the words contained in your Bible. You hold in your laps, those of you who have Bibles with pages or in your pocket, the very words of God, the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of God. And they are meant not for information. Let's be careful of this First Baptist Church because we like to study for information, don't we? But they are meant for transformation. They are meant for the transforming of your lives, of your hearts. Christian books... And authors and teachers, preachers, have some supplemental value. Listen carefully. They have some supplemental value. But they are nothing compared to the authoritative words of Jesus in your Bibles. May the Holy Spirit blow our minds anew with the words of Scripture. May we truly appreciate and understand what it is that we possess in our Bibles. So, in today's passage, Jesus shows his authority, first of all, by his teaching. However, most of the passage focuses on the second way that Jesus shows his authority, and that is by his cleansing, by his cleansing, verses 23 through 28. And this is where those questions that we asked earlier come into play. That question, does the authority of Jesus extend practically to our spiritual bondage? Is Jesus able to set spiritual captives free? And the answer to these questions begins on verse 23. It says, and immediately, there's Mark's favorite word, right? It wouldn't be a sermon without it. There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now let's take a minute and ask, what is an unclean spirit? Very simply, an unclean spirit is a demon. One of the angels who rebelled with Satan and now seeks to oppose God's work. An unclean spirit is a demon, one of the angels who rebelled with Satan and now seeks to oppose God's work. God brings light. Demons seek to bring darkness. God brings freedom. Demons seek to bring bondage. God speaks truth. 
Demons speak lies. And the man in our passage today, he found himself in a certain state of demonic bondage. As the text says, he had an unclean spirit. Now, some may say, some critics might say, aren't demons in the Bible just primitive explanations for illnesses that we, un- we better understand today? Have you ever heard that? How would you answer that? Could you answer that biblically? I think one passage that, at least for me, makes it clear that demons are not just primitive explanations for illnesses is Mark one we We'll get there very soon, but not today. It says, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. See the distinction that Mark makes? All right. It's not one thing lumped together. All who were sick or oppressed by demons. Now that being said, demons can and do at times bring sickness. That needs to be said. But demons are by no means the only explanation for sickness. So what we have in our text so far is a demonized man in the synagogue who heard the authoritative teaching of Jesus, and clearly the presence of Jesus and the words of Jesus were more than that demon could stand. He couldn't stay in the shadows any longer. He couldn't hide. For the second half of verse 23, he goes on to say, And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So clearly, the degree to which this man is demonized is very high. How do we know? Well, because a demon or demons, we'll return to that in a moment, are using the man's vocal cords to speak. Um, which is entirely possible in extreme cases of demonization. Now, the question is, how many demons were oppressing this man? Some argue that there was more than one, a plurality of demons in him because of the verbiage in verse 24. Did you see what it says? He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, what is meant by us in verse 24? I think there's three different possibilities. First of all, um, it could refer to the demon and the man. Demon, man, us. Number two, it could refer to a plurality of demons who are oppressing the man. There's more than one of them. Or it could refer to number three, a demon speaking on behalf of all demons. There is a cosmic clash that is happening in this scenario right here in the synagogue, and perhaps a singular demon representing the race of demons is referring to us. I tend to go with number three, a demon speaking on behalf of all demons, because if you remember in verse 23, it said that the man had an unclean spirit, and then verse 26, it will actually say the same. But we see here, and please be aware of this, that one unclean spirit is more than enough to hold an individual in spiritual bondage because demons are far more powerful than we are. They're angels. They're very special. They're very powerful. We are made out of dust and therefore very weak. Now, notice that this unclean spirit has really good theology. All right? Back to verse 24. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is one doctrinally sound demon. 
He absolutely nails three tenets of biblical Christian doctrine. First of all, he nails the humanity of Jesus. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth. He nails the divinity of Jesus, calling him the Holy One of God. And he nails the victory of Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus had come to destroy them. It's tragic that this demon has better theology than many churches today. True? This is, in fact, a very doctrinally sound demon. Well, it shouldn't be no surprise. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Likewise, First Baptist Church, though we highly, highly value sound doctrine, sound doctrine is not what gets you to heaven. If it were, the demons would be in heaven. Rather, your salvation is in what you do with that doctrine. By turning through faith alone in Jesus, turning to Jesus alone for forgiveness. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It is more than just having good doctrine, which is important. It is what you do with that doctrine by receiving Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Well, as we said, this demon knows his defeat is coming. Look at verse 24. He asks, Have you come to destroy us? I find it interesting that this demon knows his time is short. These demons have been able to wreak havoc on the earth for quite some time, but now standing before them is ultimate spiritual authority, the same spiritual authority that is going to ultimately defeat them. And 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Demons know that. And here's Jesus beginning now to exercise his authority on the earth through his earthly ministry. And part of that authority, exercising that authority, is the mission to set spiritual captives free. Spiritual captives like the man in our story, which is exactly what Jesus does next. Look at verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And I just love this for many, many reasons. But the first of them is Jesus does not permit the demon to speak. Do not get in conversations with demons. You don't need to get in conversations with demons. Demons are liars. There's no reason to converse with demons. Instead, Jesus sets an example for us, literally tells the demon, be muzzled. That's what that literally means. Be muzzled. Shut your mouth. You are not permitted to speak. For you have nothing, you are nothing but a lying liar anyway. And then after muzzling the demon, Jesus very simply says, I love this, um, come out of him. Come out of him. Just like that, no negotiation with the demon, no plea bargaining, no special spells or superstitious practices, no drama, just the authority of Jesus to set a spiritual captive free. Well, if you thought the crowd at the synagogue was astonished before, imagine how they feel now. Verse 27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. Again, Jesus showing in Mark's theme his authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Conclusion? The authority of Jesus does extend practically to our spiritual bondage, 
Jesus is able to set spiritual captives free. And that is the best of the best of news. Jesus has, in fact, come to destroy the works of the devil, and it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is God's design, his intention for each one of us who name his name to live in the freedom that he has come to bring us. Far be it from us to settle for anything less than freedom in Christ. Now let's talk for a few minutes about the application of this. It's very, very important. I have three things to share with you. Point number one is this. Believe in the authority of Jesus. Believe in the authority of Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do, including setting spiritual captives free. Why is this important? Because... We will always live like we believe. We will always live like we believe. And if we don't believe in the authority of Jesus in the spiritual realm, we will not live well. We will settle for spiritual bondage, believing the lie of the enemy that such bondage is normal. And I believe there are a lot of Christians today who have just thrown in the towel and said, you know, this is just the way it has to be. They've settled for spiritual bondage unnecessarily because of the lies of the enemy and not believing in the authority of Jesus. Church, you are meant to be free, to live abundantly. If you're going to live an abundant life as we go back to that series, the part of it on spiritual warfare, you must live in freedom to live abundantly. And freedom begins by believing in the authority of Jesus, that he is willing and able to set spiritual captives free. Next, number two, surrender to the authority of Jesus. Surrender to the authority of Jesus. Remember, the demons believe in the spiritual authority, sometimes better than we do, but they don't surrender. And that might describe a lot of professing believers today. Belief without surrender doesn't work. Doesn't work. Church, we must surrender completely without compromise. Why? Well, because, and listen carefully, this is where it gets very practical. This is where the rubber meets the road. When we fail to surrender ourselves to the authority of Jesus, we by default surrender to the authority of Satan. Let me say it again. When we fail to surrender to the authority of Jesus, we by default surrender to the authority of Satan. For you see, the spiritual realm is organized under lines of authority. So when you are surrendered to Jesus, you come under his spiritual protection. You have that ability to come under the spiritual protection of Jesus when we surrender to him. And what a beautiful, wonderful place that is. doesn't mean Satan's not going to attack. He's going to come hard after you. Oh, but you have all of the authority and power of Jesus fighting on your behalf. However, when you are not surrendered to Jesus, you open the door to spiritual oppression. When you are not surrendered to Jesus, you open the door to spiritual oppression. Why? Because the spiritual realm is organized under lines of authority. Um, Here's an illustration of it from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. He says, "...and do not give the devil a foothold." Do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold is a secure, strategic position from which one can advance. In World War II, uh, Normandy became a foothold 
for the Allied forces to invade Europe. Um, it was a point of invasion, a secure strategic position from which they could advance. And likewise, when you live outside of Christ's authority, you open the door for Satan to establish a spiritual foothold in your life from which the demonic will seek to advance and take ground, the end result being various degrees of spiritual bondage. Are you with me? Now, some may ask, does that mean that Christians can be demonized? I would say it absolutely does. Who is Paul writing to in Ephesians 4.27? The church at Ephesus. When he said not to give the devil a foothold, he was writing to believers. Paul warns Christians not to step outside of Christ's authority and to allow the devil to gain a spiritual foothold in their lives, which will ultimately result in their bondage. Just a real practical example. You're a believer, yet you step outside of the authority of Jesus and you give yourself over to pornography. Does it not follow that there is going to be an open door, an opportunity, a foothold for Satan to secure a position in a person's life and for the demonic to create spiritual bondage in that person's life? They're a believer, but they have stepped outside of that authority of Jesus, and they are reaping the consequences thereof. So, then how do we prevent this from happening? James 4.7 gives a very simple formula. God's word is not complicated for the most part. It's very simple. It's profound, but it's simple. Submit yourselves there to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Pretty simple. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's our point, isn't it? Surrender yourselves to the authority of Jesus. Submit yourselves to God, the one from whom in our story today, demons flee. Demons flee. They can't stand to be in his presence. He rebukes them. He sends them on their way. Submit yourself to him, and there will be spiritual freedom. You are not under the authority of Jesus unless, I'm sorry, you are not under If you do not submit yourself to God, you're on your own, is what I'm trying to say. You are not under his authority and therefore not under his protection. We must surrender ourselves to the authority of Jesus continually. This isn't a one and done kind of thing. This is a lifestyle, a lifestyle of surrender. You know, it's a funny thing. Demons are a lot like rats. You've probably heard me talk about that before. Uh, Rats feed on garbage, right? If you want to get rid of rats, what do you got to do? Get rid of the garbage. The spiritual word for getting rid of your garbage is what? It's repentance. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Some of the key elements for spiritual freedom are humility, honest confession, and radical repentance. And when we truly humble ourselves before the Lord in that way, He will lift us up. He will set us free. The question ultimately is this. It's a question that Jesus asked in a different scenario, but I think as a pastor, it's been so useful to me. It's that question, do you, do you want to be well? Sadly, it's my experience that not everyone does. That many would rather live in their familiar bondage and in their sin 
than to live in the freedom that comes from surrendering their lives to the authority of Jesus. Church, you can be well. You can be free, but you must surrender to the authority of Jesus. And again, that's where the rubber meets the road, and it forks, and it wise, and it's one or the other. Lastly, believe in the authority of Jesus, surrender to the authority of Jesus, exercise the authority of Jesus, which is a pretty audacious thing for me to say, right? Exercise the authority of Jesus, except I'm not the one saying it. These are the words of Jesus to his followers. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Focus on that phrase, I have given you authority. This was Jesus' plan all along. He would come to earth, he would invest in 12, and then he would leave. But then his spirit would come and indwell just a few believers. Are you awake? His spirit would come, his spirit, and indwell every single believer. Which means that all believers would also have his authority in the spiritual realm, authority to win spiritual battles and to set spiritual captives free. Listen to Romans 16, 19. And I love how it all comes together right here. For your obedience is known to all. What what is that? That's surrender to the authority of Jesus. Your obedience is known to all. So we have that groundwork laid. So that I read, God of peace will set you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Your feet. My feet, our feet, not just the apostles' feet, some will say. This was written to the believers in Rome, not to the apostles. This is applicable to all believers in all generations at all times. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus in his ultimate authority will be the one to do the crushing. He's the crusher, but he will do it by exercising his authority through you and me. Through all of those who believe in his authority and are surrendered to his authority. And so church, I guess what I'm trying to say is you are more powerful than you know. You are meant to be mighty warriors in the spiritual realm, exercising the very authority of the one who possesses all authority. Not because you are powerful, not because you have authority, but because Jesus is all-powerful and possesses all authority. So, how should we live? Believe in the authority of Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. I'm afraid for too many it does. The demons believe. Importantly, surrender to the authority of of Jesus, because if we're not surrendered to the authority of Jesus, we step outside that authority. We leave ourselves vulnerable. We open doors to the demonic. And lastly, exercise the authority of Jesus, because Jesus is actively at work today, crushing Satan under our feet. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, cast fresh vision before us today of who we are in Christ. It all goes back to our identity in Christ and all that that means. 
and make it more than theory, make it very practical. God, would you show up big today? For those who have stepped outside of your authority and are perhaps in various degrees of spiritual bondage, God, I pray that you would bring conviction. I pray that you would bring hope. I pray that you would give a renewed sense of the freedom that can be had through repentance, through surrender. And God, as a church, help us to live like you've designed us to live. May we fulfill our potential in Christ and not leave so much of it on the field. God, you're coming soon. We know Jesus is coming soon. There's work to be done. Help us to get busy, not in our frail weakness, but in your omnipotent strength. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I would just say one other thing. You may find yourself today in a situation where you are in some deep spiritual bondage and you need help. If that's you, would you please reach out, contact us. We would love to sit down with you, work with you, and to apply what it is that we're talking about here today. You are not alone. Satan will have you believe you're alone. You are not alone. But you need to take that first step and reach out and say, I need help. I need help. All right, would you stand together?